If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two or three agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps the hardest thing to do in the church is to tell someone else that they're wrong. Even harder is to tell them that they have sinned against you. Not only are you saying that they're wrong, but you're actually making a statement about their character. Saying such things isn't easy in the best of circumstances, and it can be downright terrifying in the worst of circumstances. And yet in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us not only will there be times that we sin against one another, but that sin will need to be confronted for the sake of reconciliation. Fortunately, he offers us a very simple plan, one that honors confidentiality and discretion and seeks to avoid unnecessarily public fights. It's not rooted in shaming others, but of reasoning with others, even pleading with others for the sake of reconciliation. And yet, even with the possession of this wonderful uh, procedure with holy motives, we still find it very difficult to have these kinds of conversations. After all, aren't we taught to be loving and to be kind, to turn the other cheek, to forgive as often as we have been forgiven, to give the benefit of the doubt? Just listen to what Paul says in our reading from Romans 13 today. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Well, who can argue with that? So out of love for one another, we can actually even look the other way or uh, ignore wrongs. And we think that that's loving. And what Jesus is saying actually seems to be, no, you need to confront sin when it comes between you. We love one another, of course. Why? We, we learned this in Vacation Bible School. You remember? Because Jesus first loved us, right? And we forgive someone's 90 denarii debt because we have been forgiven the 10,000 talent debt. You remember that? And we know how wretched we can be, so we, being good Christians, we feel wrong if we go and point out the fault of someone else. I mean, even Jesus also says, don't point out the speck in someone else's eye unless you have pointed out the log in your own eye. So it doesn't feel very loving to confront someone for a sin that they've committed because we know we're also not perfect. 
Remember, I said that we're taught not to judge, and yet Jesus seems to be telling us to do exactly that. The truth is that we're not taught not to judge. We're taught not to judge hypocritically, and there's a world of difference between the two. Just because we're sinners, that doesn't mean that we can never make a judgment about something that is right or wrong. Indeed, to justify a sin in any way is to justify a lie. It's the devil who is a liar and the father of lies. So it's a lie to call something that God hates good. And it is a lie to commit an act that God forbids and then justify it. That's exactly what we've argued has been going on in the mainline Protestant churches, is that what used to be called sinful is now called good in the name of God. Clear violations of God's law are excused, defended, and justified in the language of things like, well, we're all sinners, or well, we're told not to judge, or there's simply an unwillingness to say to someone else, you are in sin. Just this week, I was having a conversation about the direction a ministry should go that I'm a part of, and there were sort of two schools of thought duking it out. On the one hand, there was a push that it go in a more gentle direction, that it become less confrontational and more conversational, one that modeled the grace of Christ. On the other hand, we said, well, our events should be clearly presented as having these two different points of view, these two different sides, and they should be clearly expressed, and we let the audience decide uh, which one is best, which one had the best argument. Well, what's the rationale for each one? Well, in the first case, we want to model the grace and the love of Christ, and so in all things, we want to be above reproach and kind and not judgmental and things like that, right? But in the case of the second, there was a, a need to defend the truth. There's a necessity to seek the truth as followers of Christ. So which value should win? Should we always be nice because we're modeling the love of Christ? Or should we present clear differences in the name of the truth? Because the truth is important to Jesus too. Well, herein lies the basis of so much conflict in the church. Both perspectives are right, of course, in the sense that both virtues are good, love and truth. In fact, John 1.14, we read this verse every Christmas, uh, it's a very famous verse, it reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Christ himself are both of these virtues, then. If we emphasize one, we can lose the other. Whenever I watch a documentary about cults, they're always fun, aren't they? Uh, I'm reminded of what a loving message is often presented by some of these cults for potential converts. Whether it's a Christian cult or not, the techniques are often the same. Right? There's this message of full-throated, unequivocal, uh, un non-judgmental love that this group of people offers someone that they've never gotten or heard before. No strings attached, right? If you join our group, you will be loved like never before. 
And there's a, a word for this sometimes. They'll use a technique. It's, it's called love bombing, right? Or, or you know, you, you put a love bomb on someone. So you see some lonely soul at the beach, and you surround them with compliments, and you give them lots of attention, and you throw a love bomb on someone who's kind of lonely and doesn't have many friends. They'll be very attracted to that, and it's a manipulative technique, but it does actually work. Well, Jesus always showing mercy to sinners. We see that in the gospel, right? Jesus loves sinners. He shows mercy to sinners. He forgives. Well, you could look at those stories and you could say, well, geez, it certainly seems like Jesus prefers grace over truth. Now, the other side of that coin, you might call it something like fundamentalism. That's a perfectly good word. Nothing wrong with that word at all. But what people associate with that word is a focus on doctrine and truth at the expense of grace and love. So that's the only thing that matters, right? Grace and love are maybe taken for granted or even downplayed. It's the truth of God that is all important. And if that isn't already outright legalism, it might become that very soon. Legalism is the belief that you can be saved by the law of God apart from grace. And so Jesus' constant fight with the legalists of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, it could lead you to believe that Jesus preferred truth over grace. You see how each different group at each end of the spectrum could look in the Gospels and see Jesus and say, oh, see, Jesus prefers grace over truth, or Jesus prefers truth over grace. But in fact, Jesus was so harsh on the teachers of the law, not because they were teaching the law, but because they were teaching lies. They had strayed from the truth. And therefore, they were being unloving. And this is really where we start to realize that love and truth are not enemies at all, but are, in fact, in Christ, inextricably bound together. You cannot separate love and truth because they are both found in the person of Christ, and Christ can't be torn apart. To know the truth is to know Christ himself, and therefore it is also to know love. Love, apart from Christ, is a lie, and a lie is a departure from Christ. So if you seek to follow Jesus Christ, and to know him, and to imitate him, as we are called to do, then you are called to seek the truth wherever it leads. And if you do so, you will find love, and you will know true love. You will learn to distinguish the true love of God from the false flattery of the world. And if you seek to follow Jesus Christ, and you are certain that you know all of the truths of the world, but you're not loving, well, you might need to meet with another follower of Jesus Christ one day and see if your truth actually aligns with the scriptures. Because if you know the truth, you'll be loving. And if love is a value to you, you'll seek the truth. And that brings us back then to our gospel text, this pattern that Jesus gives. If someone is in sin, go and speak to them one-on-one. -on -one. If they do not listen, then bring in a witness or two or three. If still not, bring them to the church. Out of love and respect for another person, sometimes we need to say to someone else, you are in sin. But notice how loving Jesus is. You first say it 
in private, in confidence, with discretion, to allow repentance without public shame. But if haughtiness wins the day, well, then you bring in two witnesses. And, you know, those witnesses might be witnessing the entire exchange, not only the accuser, but also the accused, to see if someone is really in the wrong. If stubborn refusal continues, well, then you bring it to the church, and that person may be excommunicated. The hope is that the person would repent and return to the fold, not stay out of the fold forever. But because truth and lies cannot live side by side, there are clearly times for fellowship to be broken. Even in an institution marked by love, maybe especially in an institution marked by love. So which value wins the day, love or truth? In Christ, they cannot be pulled apart. May the Holy Spirit give us the strength and the wisdom to seek both, with both humility in character and confidence in God's word. Amen.